This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15. We'll be looking this morning at Matthew 15, verses 21 through 31. This morning, we are uh, looking at Matthew, chapter 15. So uh, we begin our reading in verse 21. Hear the word of God. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he went up on the mountain and sat down there, and great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. Then they put them at his feet, and he healed them, so that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for the treasure that it is as it speaks to us of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. And we pray that as we study it now, you would cause our time to be profitable. Teach us by your spirit. Uh, Father, warm our hearts to the truths of your word, to receive them uh, and to trust in the Savior. And we pray in his name. Amen. With this passage, Jesus concludes his ministry in the northern area of Galilee. Uh, As we've read before of instances in Jesus' life, uh, he withdraws. Uh, He, in fact, leaves Israel pretty much altogether. And we read that he went to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Now, if uh, if you know The scriptures, especially the Old Testament, Tyre and Sidon, are kind of a pair that just sort of go together like Sodom and Gomorrah. And the connotation really isn't much better. Uh, The prophets of the Old Testament often referred to Tyre and Sidon to sort of be the the epitome of paganism. Uh, And sometimes referring to them with an eye toward their raw idolatry, their Baal worship, uh, toward their pride in their own 
military power, toward their own uh, wealth. And so when uh, Jesus is going into this area of Tyre and Sidon, he's basically moving out of Israel, out of Galilee, into a Gentile area. Uh, Jesus is withdrawing. We've seen that that term indicates that he's he's sort of taking refuge. He's sort of moving away from the public scene to let the heat cool down just a little bit, let the uh, the turmoil settle uh, until, of course, his time comes when he would be arrested, when he would go to the cross. Well, Jesus moves into this region, and it's there that he encounters this woman. Now, we went on ahead and read the uh, remaining verses of 29 through 31 because this occurs as sort of a, 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 a single example of what Jesus did in that area, of his grace to the people there generally. But uh, we read of one particular instance here with this woman who comes to Jesus asking for his help. But then Jesus' rather strange and maybe even off-putting response. And so let's look at this passage. Uh, Particularly, we want to note uh, three observations about this woman as we study together. First observation that I point out to you is that it was her affliction that drove her to Christ. It was her affliction, her suffering, her need that drove her to Christ. We read in verse 22, And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out. Now, that's a curious term that Matthew uses. Mark actually refers to her as a Syrophoenician woman. Uh, it's almost hyphenated. We can understand that today. You know, uh, a European American, African American, you know, Swedish American, whatever the case might be. We understand hyphenation. We understand uh, ethnic uh, reference. She was Syrophoenician. We got it. Uh, described she was coming from that region along the coast of the Mediterranean that was part of uh, Phoenicia. Now, Matthew actually uses an older term, uh, and one that had slight pejorative overtones. She was a Canaanite. Now, we know what that means. Again, if you know your Old Testament, the Canaanites were the people who dwelt in the land there uh, before the Lord brought Israel with uh, Joshua in the lead to conquer them, to drive them out, uh, not only in, in providing Israel with that land he promised them, but also as an act of judgment on those people for their wickedness. And so when Matthew refers to this woman as a Canaanite, he's saying that she is a descendant of that ancient people that was living in the land when Israel went in to take it. Uh, they didn't drive out all of them. Uh, there were still some there. And she is a descendant of those uh, wicked, idolatrous people, historic enemies of Israel, uh, living there up even to the Jesus' present day uh, in, in amongst those towns of Tyre, and Sidon. So that's that, that's the that's the background of this woman. And Matthew, uh, writing as he did, primarily with Jewish readers in mind, knew that his readers would pick up on exactly who this woman was, what kind of person she was. She was an outsider. She was uh, a Gentile. She was unclean. She was a Canaanite. And that's the kind of woman it was who came out begging Jesus 
to help her. But her, her cry is amazing. We read there that she comes out, she was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely, the word can be translated cruelly or horribly, possessed, oppressed by a demon. Now that's, that's the problem. There's not much detail there, but apparently this was a heartrending thing for her, obviously, as her daughter suffered whatever she was suffering, obviously, uh, very, uh, clear, very plain torment from this demonic oppression, uh, a cruel, uh, vicious thing, and that would break a mother's heart. And that's what propels her to come to Jesus. But notice, notice how she addresses him. Have mercy on me, O Lord. Now, that word can be translated either Lord with all that that means and it's with its Old Testament content or simply Sir, a term of respect. Sir, help me. But it seems that it's really the former, that more weighty, that more loaded sense of the term Lord because she goes on to say, help me, Lord, son of David. This woman is not only addressing Jesus, but confessing Jesus as the Messiah. Somehow she knew enough about that Jewish hope of a Messiah, of a Christ, of a Savior who was to come. And she recognizes Jesus to be that Messiah. And she comes to him saying, Lord, Son of David, help me. Now, if you've been paying attention up to this point, you realize that that, that marks a stark contrast with the reception that Jesus has been receiving from at least some quarters of Israel. Remember the Pharisees sent up a delegation. We read earlier in chapter 15 from Jerusalem. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? When they heard what Jesus said, they were offended. Jesus' own hometown people in, in Nazareth who, who, who hear him preach and take offense at him. Yet here's this woman from Tyre and Sidon, a Canaanite, who says, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. Help me. Rather stark contrast to the uh, resistance, an increasing resistance, an unbelief that Jesus met with uh, in Israel. And she comes and she says, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. And maybe she's tried different things. In fact, there was a temple about three miles northeast of Sidon, a temple of Eshman, a pagan deity, god of healing. Maybe she'd gone to Eshman, and Eshman was not able, maybe not willing to help. Maybe she had, maybe she hadn't. But at any rate, at this point, she's turning to Jesus, confessing him to be the Messiah, the son of David. We have seen those terms uh, earlier. There were some blind men in uh, Matthew 9 who cry out to Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. But it doesn't happen very often. And yet here is this woman addressing Jesus, her affliction propelling her to go to him. You know, it would be easy to look at this and say, what a horrible thing. And it was horrible. And yet it was this suffering of her daughter that made her seek out Jesus when she heard that he was in her area to go to him looking for help. You know, God is able to take suffering. He's able to take affliction uh, that is evil, and evil in itself, a result of this fallen world. But he's able to take that and use it for good purposes. And in fact, it was this affliction that drove her to Jesus. God often uses affliction to bring someone to Jesus. 
or to bring someone back to Jesus, back to a renewed walk with him, maybe to come to him in faith for the first time. Because it seems that when everything's going along fine, life is good, the bank account's healthy, children are feeling well, uh, work is going great, that the prayer life seems to lose some of its urgency. Uh, certainly people can be happy pagans going along prosperously in the world. But it's when God kicks the props out that we tend to be driven back to him or driven to him in the first place. Uh, Psalm 119, if you want to count it as a chapter, is the longest chapter in the Bible. All but two or maybe three verses have some reference to the word of God. But verse 71 says something very striking. The psalmist writes, It was good for me to be afflicted that I might learn your statutes. It was good for me to be afflicted that I might learn your statutes. The affliction in itself isn't a good thing, but the fact that he suffered was a good thing because it drove him to the word of God to understand it. Well, the same thing is true. Affliction as a way of driving us to Christ for the first time, perhaps, or driving us to him uh, or back to him when we've not been as close following him as we should be. We tend to complain about affliction, but God uses it. Uh, I like the way J.C. Ryle puts it. He says, there's nothing which shows our ignorance so much as our impatience under trouble. We forget that every cross is a message from God and intended to do us good in the end. Trials are intended to make us, uh, to make us think. They are meant to wean us from this world, to send us to the Bible, to drive us to our knees in prayer. Well, God was at work in this woman and he used this occasion of the suffering of her daughter to bring her to Jesus. This woman's affliction was her hour of grace. It was the time of God working in her life. And there's certainly a lesson for us there. Her affliction drove us to Christ. And that's been true up to the present day. Well, there's another observation that we make about this woman. Not only did her affliction drive her to Christ, but her confidence in him kept her at Christ. Even when it would have been easy to just turn and go away. Look at what happens. She comes to Jesus. She's crying out. Uh, the, the, the tense there indicates she kept crying out to him, pleading with him. Uh, it seems that she was uh, going along what the disciples say. She's coming after. She's maybe following them. Verse 23. But he did not answer her a word. Matthew sort of emphasizes it's not that he remained silent. He didn't answer her a word. He didn't say a thing to her. He ignored her. Now, I don't know about you, but I read that and I think, wait, you know, this is the same Jesus? What gives? What, what, what's with the silent treatment? Um, well, then it gets, it, it seems to even get worse. The disciples came to Jesus and they begged him, saying, send her away, for she's crying out after us. We're tired of this noise. And it reminds me of the book of Acts, you know, where the demon-possessed girl's following uh, Paul. And, you know, we know who you are, you know, and he gets very annoyed with that. Well, we can only imagine that would be the case here. Well, the disciples say, Jesus, send her away. Get rid of her. Now, it's unclear whether they want Jesus to go ahead and give her what she wants so she'll go away or just to send her away without giving her anything. But Jesus seems to understand his disciples saying, go ahead, heal her daughter, just so she'll go away. 
Because look at what Jesus says. And I think verse 24 is addressed to the disciples, not to the woman. You know, it's kind of the thing where you read the Bible and you sort of, sort of understand it. But once you take a second look and start really thinking about it and looking at it, you may see something different. Well, I've always assumed Jesus was saying verse 24 to the woman. But in the context, it seems better to understand those words as addressed to the disciples. They're saying, Jesus, heal her daughter, make her go away. Because they'd never seen Jesus just turn people away before. I mean, they, they would assume perhaps that he's going to heal her daughter. They'd give her what she asked for. Well, Jesus answers, I think, to the disciples by way of explanation. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, that phrase, the lost sheep of the house of Israel, is just is referring to Israel. Now, I don't think it's referring to lost sheep within Israel. Now, this expression actually occurred earlier when Jesus sends his disciples out to preach to the lost sheep. Just go to the lost sheep of Israel. Uh, in other words, Israel, Israelites, the Jews. And Jesus explains to his disciples the purpose of his mission. It is limited to Israel. But apparently at this point, the woman walks up, but she came and knelt before him, this, this posture of, uh, of, of pleading, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered her, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Wow. Jesus is basically saying, well, the, the Israelites, the Jews are the children, and you Gentiles are the dogs. Now, that term didn't originate with Jesus. Uh, in fact, Gentile dog was sort of one word on most Jewish lips. Uh, they, they looked with disdain at the Gentiles, like this Canaanite, Syrophoenician, Tyre and Sidon woman, uh, as being a dog, as being substandard, as being a step or two beneath them. And Jesus takes up that term and uses it here of her. You know, you know, this really is getting weird. Why is Jesus using this derogatory word to insult this woman? Well, you know the difficulty of email. When someone writes something, what was the tone? What was the facial expression? Sometimes it's easy to misunderstand because all we have is, is, is just the bald words. And is that a case of what's going on here? How did Jesus say this? We don't know. Jesus may have said it to her with a stern face. Why would he say that? What does he mean by that? Well, what he's referring to there is the priority of the Jews. Paul expressed that very well in Romans 1 when he said that the gospel is for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for the Gentile. There's a priority of the gospel coming to Israel and then ultimately through Israel. But there's a priority there and a, and a blessing upon the Jews as the one uh, to whom the Messiah was promised, through whom the Messiah came, who had the law and so forth. As Paul enumerates the various blessings in Romans, the, the promises, the, the, uh, the blessings of God that they had. And that's what Jesus is, is saying here, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But how did he say it? It could be he said it with a stern face. It could also be that he said it with just the faintest hint of a smile and a twinkle in his eyes. He spoke to this woman saying, we know, in effect, what we are supposed to think of you Gentiles, your dogs. And did he say it with some slight hint of irony? I don't know. Did he say it in a way that might have encouraged her just a little bit? I don't know. Uh, whether he said it sternly or whether he said it with a hint of slight encouragement to her, the point is she wasn't going to back down. 
And in fact, she takes up the very thing he says, and I'm kind of inclined to think that he said it with just the slightest hint of encouragement, but again, I can't be dogmatic about that, where he says it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She says, yes, Lord, yet even, or, or probably should be translated for even, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She responds to Jesus. She would not be put down. She takes up his own objection and turns it around to, to make it a reason that he should, in fact, bless her. Okay, you want to talk about the table and the children? Well, yes, but even food falls off the table that the dogs do get to eat up. If you've ever had a dog, you know how that works. You know, the dog, food hardly touches the floor because the dog's on patrol. If you've ever had a dog on the inside when you've been eating. Well, this is a perceptive woman. Because she not only recognizes Jesus as a Messiah, calling him son of David, confessing him as the Savior, but now she presses Jesus by calling on him to provide those extended covenant blessings to the Gentiles. The promise. Remember, the Lord said to Abraham, you will be a blessing to the nations. And Israel was supposed to be a light. Israel was supposed to be a blessing not just for themselves, but to the nations around them. Of course, that really comes to fruition in the New Testament, but even in the Old Testament. They were to be a light. They were to be a blessing to those around them because they had the word of God. They had the promises of his grace. And this woman seems to understand that at least a little bit. Yes, Lord, but even the blessings to Israel are to overflow. You know, we learn from her the importance of perseverance, of persistence. In fact, Jesus teaches that plainly in other places. Luke 18, the parable of the persistent widow who kept coming to the judge, help me, give me relief, provide for me here, and he did. Well, the argument isn't that God is reluctant to answer prayer. The argument is if this, uh, if this unjust judge was willing to give the woman what she asked for, how much more is our Heavenly Father willing to provide an answer? But it may seem sometimes like we pray and Jesus doesn't answer us a word. We shouldn't be so easily put off. Dear friends, if this Canaanite woman had the persistence and the perception to continue in her suit against Jesus for what she needed, certainly you and I should as well, who know the Word of God, who have the Spirit of God, to not be put off by the first hint that God's going to make us wait a little bit, but to persevere in prayer, uh, that our attitude would be that of Jacob, who will not let him go until he blesses us. That's exactly what this woman was doing, just as Jacob wrestled with that night visitor so this woman was wrestling with Jesus, and she wasn't going to be put off so easily. She was not going to let him go until he blessed her with what she sought. And so it should be with us. Our confidence in who our Lord is should keep us at Christ. We should not be put off so easily, but should persevere in our prayers and our petitions of him. Well, her affliction drove her to Christ. Her confidence in him kept her at Christ, even when he sort of rebuffed her, even when he sort of kept her at arm's length. But then we see that her faith won her a commendation from Christ. Look at verse 28. Jesus replies to her, O woman, O woman, great is your faith. It's almost as if Jesus says, you did it. Oh, woman, you passed the test. I was, I was, I was stiff arming you here. I was holding you off 
and yet you kept at it. You saw through the truth, to the truth, and persevered. Great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. Again, that contrast. Jesus rarely commended someone's faith. We never see Jesus commend his disciples' faith. Sometimes he says, you have little faith. Never commends his disciples' faith. He commended the faith of the centurion. He said, Lord, just give the word and know my servant will be healed. And he commends the faith of this Canaanite woman because she would not be put off, but sought the blessings of the Messiah promised to the Jews, but also promised to overflow to the nations. And she wanted some of those crumbs, some of that blessing that was falling off the table to the nations around Israel. And Jesus speaks to her, commending her for her faith. Again, what a contrast, not only with the disciples, but with the the increasing resistance to Jesus. And he gives her what she asks for. Jesus was sent and, and pretty much limited his ministry for the most part to the lost sheep of Israel. Although later we read that he went beside the Sea of Galilee. Mark says he went to the Decapolis, the ten city region, which was predominantly a Gentile region. And healed a lot of people. And we read the last verse we looked at there, verse 31, and they glorified the God of Israel. It seems that Jesus was primarily working here among Gentiles in those few verses, bringing healing, that the crumbs were falling off the table in a big way. And the Gentiles were receiving the blessings because it would seem curious if it was Israel receiving the blessing to say what they say, to say how this that verse ends. It makes more sense that it was Gentiles. They glorified the God of Israel. They recognized who he was. They recognized who Jesus was, even if the Israelites themselves did not. And so the blessings, the crumbs were were falling off in large measure. But of course, the time would soon come, namely in the book of Acts, when the covenant promises, the gospel blessings to Israel would explode to the nations as the gospel went forward to Gentile people, people like us, not just crumbs, but the warm, fresh bread of Jesus himself, the bread of life, the one who gives eternal life. Dear friends, we look at this woman. She has a lot to teach us. She has a lot to teach us about how God uses affliction to bring us to himself. A lot to teach us about persevering with Christ and not being put off easily. She has a lot to teach us about faith in who Jesus is. And the blessings that he brings. Have you believed in Jesus? Have you turned from your sins and followed Christ? Are you following Christ? Are you walking with him, Christian brother or sister? Because you see, as we learn in this passage, he is the Lord. He is the Messiah, the son of David. And for our salvation, no one less will do. He saved a hurting Canaanite woman who had the faith to see him for who he is, and he can save us too. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage. Thank you for the lessons learned from it. And Father, we pray that you would impress upon us the truths that we find here. Lord, we thank you that we do live in a day when the blessings of the gospel have gone out to all the world. We thank you, Lord, that we serve a Savior who can not only heal the body, You could not only drive out a demon, but can redeem us from the fires of hell itself and bring us into the glorious blessing and light of the kingdom of heaven. Father, we pray that our faith would be great, 
We pray that we would walk with you and wrestle with you and know the blessings of answered prayer. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.